Welcome to another Tudor Cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the normal ones, and will cover characters who made a fleeting yet tantalizing appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode on their own, but they are way too interesting to abandon completely. And they help fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today... Donna Elvira Manuel. 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 We ought to have the little castanet sound from the Spanish. Yes. <laughs> and we've come across her in a few episodes now. She was in the... In Phillips, definitely. Phillips, yes. And... Isabella. Oh, my goodness. It, she was in El Isabella's, but also... Why can I not think of his name? The ambassador. Oh, De... <laughs> De Ayala. De Ayala. <laughs> I researched him for weeks and I forgot his name. How sad is that? <laughs> Even talking about Maximilian, I got his name wrong. So. <laughs> yes, so she is the duenna, or how do you pronounce that? I don't know. I went for duenna. Duenna. Yeah, I don't know. Catherine of Aragon. Mm. That's the, f well, there's, I, think it's, I think it covers quite a lot of things, but she's the first lady of the bedchamber. Oh, probably yes. Probably amongst other things. Yes. And Catherine looked to her for guidance and support, and she might have relied on her a little too much. Uh-oh. But you, I suppose you can't, you can't really blame her, because Catherine was very young, she was in a strange land, and she was about to marry a man she'd never met. And she was supposed to be guided by her duenna. That was mm. the person who was supposed to ensure that she kept to Spanish morals and customs. Mm. Yes. But as to Elvira's character, the only adjectives I came across describing her were stern, proud, and bossy. Uh oh. Mm. <laughs> that doesn't bode well. No. She was appointed as First Lady in Waiting and head of Catherine's female retinue before they left for England in 1501. Oh, did she. Sorry, was there a male revenue? Retinue? <laughs> was there a male retinue? I don't think there must have been. There'd have been male servants, wouldn't there? Well, I get. Yeah, I suppose so. For in my in my head, for some reason, men didn't come with the ladies, but I guess they must have. Yes, yeah, because you'd have had well for protection amongst other things. I suppose if you have a load of ladies travelling on their own, they're a bit vulnerable. I just I'm trying to remember. Somebody was talking about how one of the early queens brought over a bunch of her family with her, and they ended up gaining so much power because she had so much power over her husband, and from then on, they weren't supposed to bring men. I oh. don't know if that has gone away. I don't know. All I read was that she's the head of the female... Ref ref oh, no, I'm doing it. And I reckon you. Um, <laughs> so I assume there'd be a male one, but... Okay. I don't know. We'll look into that. Hmm. But yeah, the Count and Countess of de Cabra were to act as the head of Catherine's household. But Elvira Manuel became governess, chaperone, and effectively a mother substitute. And Isabella of Castile trusted Elvira completely. She and Ferdinand ordered that Elvira would run Catherine's household according to her discretion and their orders, and Catherine should do as Elvira advised. Which I think suited hmm. Elvira, and I think also suited Catherine, at that point, at least. She's probably quite pleased to have someone... Tell her what to do. Tell her what to do, yes, because she's probably floundering quite a lot. And I imagine she's been told, this is what to expect, but it's still a shock, isn't it? 
Yes, and at least you have someone who understands where you're coming from when you come to England, because she didn't speak English. No. Which is a surprise. I still think that's a surprise. You'd think since that marriage negotiation had been going on for so long that she would have at least gotten some, hello, your majesty, yes. you know, the basics. <laughs> Can you show me the way to the bus station? Don't something, anything like that. Yes. <laughs> She's had enough time. <laughs> Where is the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> Donna Elvira accompanied Catherine to the port at La Coruña to get the boat to England. And with them was Don, Donna Elvira's husband, Pedro Manrique, who was an, quote, sorry, it was a, quote, overbearing, proud lord. So they sound oh. like a lovely couple, don't they? No kidding. <laughs> She's bossy and he's overbearing. Fantastic. Mm. It's thought that it was Donna Elvira who decided what Catherine should wear as she processed into London that first time. You'd have thought, wow, she didn't even get to choose her own clothes? No, I'm quite surprised that it wasn't decided in advance by Isabella, or maybe. Yes. Hmm. Well, she rode behind Catherine and she wore a black mantilla, which was apparently made her look like a nun. And that's oh. the, the, how to describe them, the sort of, they're made of plastic now, I think. But they, they, they sit in the, on the top of the head at the front and then a, a, a sort of veil thing goes over the top. Like that gabled hood kind of thing? I expect that's what was... How do you spell it? M-A-N-T-I-L-L-A. Let's take a look. Oh, okay. So it's basically a veil on top of a little hat. Well, now if you see Spanish dancers, they they have a sort of, sort of yes. frame thing at the front that... Yes. Hmm. Yeah, it's quite tall and wide. I think, it, honestly, I like the look. It's really <laughs> pretty on this woman. Huh. It is quite pretty, I've, although it might just be that, and this, I, I do know that they were into black lace and black embroidery hmm. at the time of Catherine, but that lace is beautiful framing the faces. I'm going to have to put that picture on, on uh, the website. Following the ceremony and the wedding feast, it was up to Donna Elvira and a select group of ladies to prepare the marriage bed, which took two hours you think, what are they doing to this thing? I want, do you know anything about the preparation of a marriage bed that they. I do know how the beds were supposed to be put together. So perhaps they were reorganizing the bed. Tudor beds had multiple mattresses. So what we think of a mattress now was what they called a bed then. And there were various layers. The bottom layer was quite often straw because it could hold up to the rubbing of the ropes. On top of that was another mattress. So it was just stuffed sacks, really. The next one was a mattress of uh, a different material, sometimes wool, for the warmth. And the very top mattress was down feathers. And you can imagine how expensive those would have been. But they mm. were the softest feathers. And they were in a mattress of ticking, which is a really tight woven um, fabric so that the points of the feathers don't come through it. But to make sure that it was smooth took a long time. You'd spend time beating the mattresses and fluffing them to ensure you didn't have lumps. So but, two hours, yeah. I could imagine, if they were making the bed from scratch. Hmm. Which they might be might be for a marriage bed, mightn't they? Because nobody would have slept in it before. Hmm. Yeah, because they would also gather smell over time. Yes. So... <laughs> We don't know when you I'm would... born without, with our mattresses and our duvets, do we? Yes. 
I mean, if you think about it, uh, she wouldn't have the smoke smell, but it there weren't chimneys in most houses yet. So if you were lower down in scale, it would smell like smoke. It would absorb your sweat. It would mm. absorb moisture throughout the air. And you'd end up with mold in a lot of them. And I should imagine so, little creatures move in as well. Oh, yes. So you might want to start with brand new with no little <laughs> creatures in it and no weird scents. So, yeah, maybe they were just building it up from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Well, two hours doesn't seem long enough now, does it? <laughs> <laughs> And then that's where the tradition of sleep tight comes in. And don't let the bed bugs bite. They'd have to tighten the ropes. They didn't have slats on the bottom of the beds or any sort of box spring is what we call them mm. here in North America. It was a series of ropes that were knotted once they were a certain tightness. And over time, as you were laying in loosen. them, yeah. they would loosen. That's why you get a lot of those manuscripts where it looks like people are sleeping like a banana. <laughs> it's because the ropes have loosened and you've dropped down in the middle. So every night you were supposed to tighten those ropes. So sleep tight. And the yeah. don't let the bed bugs bite was usually herbs that they'd throw in with the bedding to try to prevent bugs from getting in there. Mm. It, it, it rather is neat. At least I thought it was a neat thing to figure out. I wonder how comfortable they were. Very. I've seen a few people sleep in them. Lucy Worsley did in one of her episodes and she said it was very comfy at the beginning but then as this rope sagged she said i ended up sleeping almost sitting up mm. but yeah they if you get the feather topped bed that's an incredibly soft mattress it's like sleeping on a cloud apparently oh like a water bed yes without the waves yes <laughs> elvira accompanied catherine to ludlow and then five months later, she accompanied her back again after Arthur's death. Oh. And she enforced all the rules of formal mourning, Spanish style. And yes. Spanish style mourning was very formal indeed. Yes. She was probably the only person who knew what actually happened in that marriage bed. And she wrote to Isabella saying that Catherine was definitely still a virgin. Really? Yeah. And Isabella trusted Donna Elvira's word. Did Ferdinand trust her words? It's hard to tell, except that it was expedient <laughs> for him to do so. Yes. So, But the papal dispensation that Isabella got was sort of a dual papal dispensation. She got a dispensation for if they had consummated the marriage and if they hadn't consummated the marriage. It was so there very must have vague. been some sort of question. Mm. Yes. But was Donna Elvira sensible to insist that Catherine was still a virgin? Because effectively, she was saying that under canon law, the marriage between Arthur and Catherine was no marriage at all. Which, by coincidence, worked great for Catherine's second marriage to Henry. But that's only with hindsight. Because yes. what rights would Catherine have? Because she's not, nor ever has been, the Princess of Wales. Well, then she would not, she would never be a dower princess of wales if it wasn't consummated but her dowry that had already been paid would have gone back to her parents well in theory in theory that's not what happened we've got a whole episode on uh, on uh, catherine's marital problems and they're not marital problems with her husbands it's marital problems with her in-laws and her parents yes but donna Elvira was first lady of the bedchamber so if anyone knew what had gone on in that bedchamber it would be her and it's thought that she, it was her who told Ferdinand and Isabella that the bedsheets hadn't been stained with blood. Right. 
which was a sign that virginity was had been breached. Yes. I'm not sure whether Catherine's virginity was ever checked, and it could be checked by a number of foolproof methods. I mean, checking whether the hymen was intact would be a one, a rather unpleasant one. Or waving a chicken wing over her stomach would do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh but I wasn't quite goodness. sure. Is that still attached to a live chicken or is this a... Oh. I don't know. Either way, it's not going to work. <laughs> it doesn't really matter whether the chicken's alive or don't, apart from to the chicken. Oh, that's a horrible thought. <laughs> it's possible that Donna, Donna Elvira was spying on Catherine's confessor, Alessandro Geraldini. A letter of his was intercepted, probably by Donna Elvira, who thought it was. And this letter was sent to Ferdinand and Isabella. And sadly, we don't know what the letter said or even to whom it was meant to be sent. But whatever it was, Geraldini was summoned straight back to Spain. And it's been speculated that what he may have been saying was that Catherine wasn't a virgin. Because oh. he's her confessor. He'd know even more than Donna Elvira yes. would. We have to remember that if you did not confess your sins, you were going to hell. So you confessed. There's no... Yeah, I mean, there's no innocence by not not saying. <laughs> if you don't yes. say, that's another sin, isn't it? Yes. So if he had been saying that she wasn't a virgin, well, by this time, Ferdinand and Isabella were very keen to claim that she was. Otherwise, the marriage to Henry might be off. Right. We know that Catherine was furious with Geraldini, and when he returned to England 15 years later as a bishop, she point-blank refused to receive him. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. But it was obviously still a sensitive subject. Yes. Mm. Oh, now I wish we had his letters to see what he was saying. Yes. Well, they might be out there somewhere. In Spanish. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> De Puebla was very concerned at Donna Elvira's total power over Catherine and, and her court, and she was living at Durham House at that point. Donna Elvira had cut it off from other influences, ostensibly for the reason of mourning. But did she want to make sure that Catherine's only influence was her? Possibly. Yeah, De Puebla reported that the household was run on the lines of seclusion and obedience to Donna Ooh. Elvira. Oh. Yeah, it sounds quite unpleasant. Yes. He may have been feeling miffed that he wasn't the one to influence Catherine. But if he's right in his description, it does sound as if Donna Elvira had complete control over Catherine's environment. I'm surprised, and I, I don't know enough about it, but I'm surprised that she kept her duenna after she got married. Why would you need that person with that role after you are married? Maybe she dropped, because we don't, I didn't find any information about what happened while she was married to Arthur. So maybe she drops the duenna for that time and then picks it back up yeah once Arthur's died she's hmm. she's back in harness again yes okay well Catherine missed out on Christmas with the in-laws in 1502 and it's thought that Donna Elvira may have told her that it was an inappropriate thing for a widow to do you don't celebrate Christmas when your husband's just died makes sense and Catherine was frequently ill at this time now this may have made it easier for Donna Elvira to segregate her and could Catherine yes. have been ill due to the stress of living under such an environment? I mean, that's just an interpretation I've thrown in there, but... That's a good question. She did have many stresses at this time, I suppose. Hmm. And she had been ill, so she might be getting recurrences of threatening sickness or whatever it was that Arthur died of. Yes. 
1505, Henry VII was fed up with Ferdinand. The feeling is mutual, as we'll find out in the other episode. (laughs) They can't stand each other. He hadn't paid the second part of the dowry. No, he had not. No. And Henry was toying with the idea of making an alliance with Philip and Juana instead. And there was a lot to be said for that, because they could have trade agreements. He could get Edmund de la Pole back. Yes. And Ferdinand now only had Aragon, technically. Yes. Well, and bits of Italy, but yeah. Yes. Henry VII didn't have any firm plans on that score, but Catherine was having poison dripped into her ear. Wouldn't it be nice to see your sister? No one's going to help you see your sister, but you could do it. Just tell the king to organise a meeting with Philip and Juana and tell him to take you along, because it would be so nice to see your sister again, wouldn't it? That sort of thing. Oh. Hmm. And she's... Why is she doing that? Do we know for sure? Uh, pretty much. Okay. Which we'll come to. Catherine was the innocent poison drippy, but the poison drippers were Donna Elvira and her brother, Don Juan Manuel. And Juan Manuel was the Spanish ambassador to the Burgundian court. Ah. <laughs> he had been Isabella's man. Not Isabella and Ferdinand, just, just Isabella. Isabella. Mm. He didn't want Castile to fall into Ferdinand's hands. He would prefer Philip and Juana. I mean, it's, hard, it's hard not to think, but he's a Spaniard. Why would he want to go with the Burgundians? But he's not a Spaniard. He's a Castilian. Yes. Which is quite different. Manuel was keen to get Philip and Henry together, since if Philip had to fight Ferdinand for Castile, Henry would then have to back him up. Right. He Mm. would have to send troops. Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we know Henry better than they did, obviously. (laughs) That would be in the treaty, but he'd somehow managed to back out. I'd send money instead. Yes. So Manuel talked to his sister, Donna Elvira, and she talked to Catherine and told her, write to Henry and suggest a meeting with Philip because how long has it been since you saw your sister? It'd be so nice to see your sister, wouldn't it? Hmm. It wasn't difficult. Donna Elvira was a formidable figure who pretty much ruled Catherine. Apparently, whenever Catherine attempted to pull away from her, Elvira's force, Elvira had put a stop to that. But I couldn't find out how what that meant, but she seems to be yanking yanking her back on the chain all the time. Really? Hmm. Oh, I wonder how. On the plus side, she kept Catherine's finances in order, telling her not to squander the money, but obviously on the minus minus side, she was manipulating Catherine. Yes. Where Catherine had no other points of reference. So, certain amount of gaslighting going on. The poor girls. Her Mm. and Juana had bad people surrounding them. They really did. Donna Elvira had the support of Ferdinand and Isabella. And although de Puebla couldn't stand her, he could also see the benefit of having her there to keep a tight rein on Catherine's spending because she tended to go a bit berserk if she hadn't got someone (laughs) keeping an eye on it. Not not in a sort of spendthrift way, but she liked to give money to people and she liked to do things for people, pay for their dowry and that sort of thing. Yes, but that is... If she's not getting enough of an income. You can't do it if you haven't got the money. (laughs) Yes. Henry, in particular, seems to have valued Donna Elvira's role in subduing Catherine. He told de Puebla that it had been him who had lobbied Ferdinand and Isabella to get Donna Elvira reinstated. So that does imply that after when Catherine was married to Arthur, she was left without a job. 
And then Henry said, actually, Catherine was a lot easier to contend with when she was around. Get her back. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Catherine. Yeah. De de Puebla told of how Henry sent Donna Elvira a gold headdress. And the only people who had received such a thing before were Mary and Margaret Tudor, his daughters, and Margaret Beaufort. De Puebla was given strict instructions that Donna Elvira was to be given this headdress in front of Catherine. What? Well, the message here was, we like Donna Elvira, so do as she tells you, Catherine. That's horrible. Mm. Everybody is going against her, it feels like. The poor girl. Well, De Puebla was happy to do this because it made his job easier if Catherine was submissive rather than bolshy. Because in fact, she could be quite bolshy. But then... Well, she did have De Ayala telling her to do different things. <laughs> but by bolshy, they're probably just mean trying to fight back against all these people. People telling her what to do. Her. Mm. Yes. Yeah, you get the feeling that Catherine is, poor Catherine, is very much alone here, don't you? Yes. She's surrounded by people who don't seem to have her well-being at heart. At all. Her father's useless in this respect. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. We haven't done his episode yet. No, I, he, at the time of this recording. That's why I added in this respect, because yeah, he's not completely useless. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that Henry VII is sometimes nice and sometimes not may have made Catherine hanker after the times when he was nice and want to please him. Hmm. And she's not given access hmm. to Prince Henry. So it all sounds very lonely. Yes. Just after Isabella died, Ferdinand began to have his doubts about Donna Elvira. He Well, quite rightly, since she's not on his side, she was on (laughs) Isabella's side. He told de Puebla to warn Henry, quote, confide nothing to Donna Elvira, sister to Juan Manuel, because he cannot be trusted. I think because she cannot be trusted, I would have thought, but... So, or maybe don't say it to Donna yes, Elvira because she will tell her brother and he and cannot he be trusted. he can't be trusted, yes. Well, neither yes. of them can. And Ferdinand was right not to trust Donna Elvira because she and her brother were plotting against him. And Catherine was the unsuspecting means for them to do that. Hmm. So she's plotting against her own dad. Oh. Mm. But she doesn't know it. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Although it's, at the same time, it's not like he's given her anything to keep her on his side. He's not paying her dowry. He's leaving her without any support. She writes him a lot of letters saying, I haven't got any money. Please send me money. But you don't get the feeling that she's not on his side. She's still the dutiful daughter. I mean, she still seems to mm. seems to be fond of him. Hmm. Well, I think Ferdinand keeps saying, well, it's not up to me. You're in Henry's court now. And Henry's saying, well, it's not up to me. You're Ferdinand's daughter. Yes. And we've got a whole episode on that, so we'll come back to that. It goes on and on and on. Not in a boring way, I hasten to. I suddenly thought that sounded <laughs> awful. <laughs> the episode just goes on and on. <laughs> as far as Henry was concerned, the antics of Donna Elvira and her brother gave him a secret way to talk to the Burgundian court without word getting back to Ferdinand. Right. Because he's not actually sending diplomats. No, but I think that's probably wishful thinking. Ferdinand is like Henry, knows everything. Oh, really? He always knows everything. Hmm. De Puebla was very suspicious about what was going on. He wrote to Ferdinand, quote, 
The ambassadors from Flanders have of late been very often to kiss the hand of the Princess of Wales. Donna Elvira Manuel, influenced by her brother Don Juan Manuel, procures them those frequent opportunities of seeing the princess, who has been won over by them to such an extent as to propose an interview between the King of England, the King Archduke, that's Philip, and the Queen Archduchess, that's Juana. The princess hopes to accompany the King of England to this meeting, and in this way to see her sister. Donna Elvira has taken great pains and persuaded the Princess of Wales to send one of her servants to the King Archduke, the Queen Archduchess, and Don Juan Manuel, with a message concerning this interview, unquote. So, Ferdinand knows all about it through, through De Puebla. Right. So they all think they're doing things secretly, and nobody is. Nobody is. <laughs> <laughs> the only person not in the loop of anything seemed to be Maximilian. Or Catherine. <laughs> or Catherine. Quite apart from the prospect of seeing her sister again, Catherine was also very excited about her role in all this. Because she'd been completely sidelined before this, and no one would have cared about her opinions. But now she has the Burgundian diplomats coming to see her, yes, and her alone. I'm so, important. Yes, this is all suddenly quite, quite, it's going to her head a bit. Yes, I could see that. She is still, what, 16 now? Yeah, she's a little girl, really. Yes. I remember thinking I was an adult when I was 16, and now I look back, I was not an adult. No. Not even close. No. Philip agreed to meet Henry near Calais at Saint-Omer. Catherine was so thrilled with her skills at diplomacy that she sent for De Puebla to tell him all about it. Oh, no. <sighs> look what I've done. Oh, no. And she said she was going to write to Henry and tell him the good news. And De Puebla was horrified. I can imagine. And he offered to take the letter for her. Ah, <laughs> it's going to disappear. Yeah, I assume that he'd planned to show it to Ferdinand, but I think, yeah, I think he probably more likely he would have dest destroyed it. Cause yes. I don't think he probably would want to see Catherine you know, brought down in that way. No. It wouldn't do the Spanish standing in the English court much good. No, not at all. And I had heard that Catherine couldn't stand De Puebla. But I wonder now whether it was the constant pressure of Donna Elvira telling her yes. not to trust him. Well, it started with when she first arrived, De Ayala was against De Puebla. Hmm. So yeah. her first interaction on England would have been, don't trust this guy, he's Jewish. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And with Donna Elvira, presumably being a immensely religious lady. Would have felt the same. She kept going, yeah. Yeah, so she wouldn't have had any... I can't imagine she would have been around anybody that would have told her that De Puebla was a good man. Mm. And actually was seems to be doing stuff at, on, on her side quite a lot of the time. Yes. I mean, not yes. always, but quite a lot of the time. Well, we'll find out. He's got an episode at some point. Anyway, De Puebla then told Donna Elvira that he knew what she was up to and it could be damaging to Spain's interest. And Donna Elvira promised to prevent Catherine from sending the letter to Henry. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. No. I think she's a schemer. Oh, no, it's all well. De Puebla went back home for supper at his own house for once. <laughs> <laughs> and barely was the food approaching his lips when one of his servants barged in and told him that Donna Elvira had tricked him. She had no intention of preventing Catherine from sending the letter, and in fact, the letter was winging its way to Henry as they spoke. Oh, no. Mm. So are we now looking at a race between the letter and <laughs> de Puebla? 
I don't think Pedro would have won. He had terrible gouty legs. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. Everybody had gout. <laughs> he rushed back to Catherine and he told Catherine a few home, tr- home truths about Donna Elvira and her brother with tears pouring down his face. Well, I, th- I don't know whether he felt it was better for him to not to tell Catherine, but to be able to keep the channels open so that he could find out and let Ferdinand know. But now it was getting to the point where he was going to have to tell Catherine. Yeah, it's a diplomatic disaster. Mm. He also made Catherine swear not to pass on anything that he said to Donna Elvira. And he told her, quote, The interview was the work of Don Juan Manuel and Donna Elvira, who intended to do injury to her royal father and to the queen her sister by it, unquote. Oh, jeez. And luckily for De Puebla, Catherine suddenly realised what had been going on and agreed to send a second letter to Henry telling him to ignore the first, and she now realised that her father, quote, would be very sorry if such an interview were really to take place, unquote. So it's very much a send. Oh, God, don't don't send, don't send. (laughs) Recall that message, recall that message. (laughs) But she must have felt such a fool as much as anything, and also she must have felt that everything she believed had been a sham because she trusted Elvira. Yes. Oh, Henry claimed to be astonished, as if he hadn't known all about it. For a start, he knew about about everything, and it had been him who had lobbied to get Donna Elvira back into Catherine's household. It seems more likely that any astonishment was because it it turned out that Donna Elvira was working more for Castile than she was for Henry. Ah, yes. And it turned out that Donna Elvira and her brother had advised Philip not to hand over Edmund de la Pole. Ooh, yes. That's what's going to get in his craw. Oh, I think so. And to rub salt in the wound, <gasps> Philip then made Don Juan Manuel a knight of the Golden Fleece. <sighs> Catherine had been given a very harsh lesson, and the person she'd trusted above all others had tricked her. Does that mean she gets rid of her? Someone gets rid of her. She, oh. She then goes to Burgundy to be treated for an eye condition. Now, whether that was her own decision or whether it was Catherine's or Henry's. Is this just a here's an out that keeps your face? that You're not humiliated? Uh, yeah. But I, well, I don't know. apparently there's a terrible scene. One of Catherine's servants described it as a horrible hour. So I don't know where she, okay. she didn't. Want, I get the impression she didn't want to go. Ooh. Or she was telling people a few home truths before she went. Oh, one of those. Well, maybe. Following Donald... Donald? (laughs) (laughs) Following Donna Elvira's removal, Henry VII suggested that Catherine should move to the court. To be with under Elizabeth's guidance, then? Uh, Well, certainly Henry could keep an eye on her, I suppose. Mm -hmm. The intrigue with the Burgundian court didn't stop, though. Donna Elvira had gone, but her husband, Don Pedro Manrique and he was the overbearing proud lord, was still Ooh. hanging around. And in fact, it was him who took those gushing schoolboy crush letters from Prince Henry to Philip. Oh. You know, all those, I love you, Philip. Yeah. Oh, great. Please write to me. Also, we come across Elvira's brother later when Philip entered Castile and had that bit of bother with Ferdinand. I came across this when I was researching Ferdinand's episode. Ferdinand left and he headed off to Italy. Okay. And this was in 1506. And as a parting gift to Philip, 
Ferdinand bribed some of Philip's chief advisers in Castile. He gave ten of them pensions for life, and one of those turncoats was Donna Elvira's brother, Don Manuel. Ooh, so he's not trustworthy in any way. <laughs> he could be bought. At her wedding to Prince Henry, there was no Donna Elvira to choose what she should wear or to prepare the marriage bed. I'm sure someone did it, but she wasn't there. And I wonder if Catherine missed her in some way or whether she was relieved to see her go. Mm. But that is the story of the life, or a small part of the life, of Donna Elvira Manuel. Hmm. Sneaky. Doesn't sound like a very nice lady. She sounds awful, doesn't she? Yes, she does. <laughs> <That's> awful. <laughs> yes, she Bossy, does. Bossy, sneaky, manipulating. Oh, just do this, Catherine. You yeah. know you want to. Yeah. When did you last see your sister? Hmm. I might be giving, giving, putting that voice on her. She might not have yes. said it like that at all. <laughs> so we'll get to hear more about this palaver with the marriages, or we will have already heard about it. I'm not sure in the order that these things will go in. <laughs> Ferdinand's episode. Well, in a, a special episode on the marriage negotiations. Right. Yeah, because there was so much from the uh, calendar rolls. There was so much stuff about it. I thought this is a special episode's worth. Oh, perfect. And quite a long one. <laughs> <laughs> we like special episodes. Yes. I'm going to sh show you what I was looking at. Well, it's the it's these ladies. Mm. That is what you were talking about. Yes. Right? That mantelpiece okay. thing is the big thing that holds it up. Yes. Isn't it beautiful, though? I just think it looks gorgeous with the way it... F yeah. Yeah, just frame the face nicely. Yes. I don't think I'll be starting to wear one, but... No. They look a bit no. cumbersome. You wouldn't get your bobble hat on top, would you? <laughs> no. No, but it is pretty. It is. And I, I like to be able to imagine what they kind of look like while you're talking, hmm. or while I'm talking. So while I'm researching people, I'm looking at their their images, if we have them. I can't say that they look like nuns because they're all rather beautiful young ladies. And I imagine that Donna yes. Elvira had a rather sort of pinchy, vinegary face. <laughs> yes, and stern and not happy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Don't smile. This is a wedding. No, mustn't smile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But that is the story of Donna Elvira Manuel. I said it right, I think. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll come back to listen to our next episode. Goodbye. Bye.